I'm Arthur. And I'm Susan. This is the Parent Talk Podcast. Managing the challenges of daily parenting. Thanks to our founding sponsor, Naturopedic, the nation's most trusted source of organic and healthy sleep products for your children. You can visit them at naturopedic.com. That's naturopedic.com. Welcome back to Parent Talk Podcast. We're very excited to extend our series in consideration of young children who attend daycare and preschool. And we're thrilled again to welcome back leadership from Gather Round, a national center for expertise in this issue. And we're very pleased to welcome back our friends, Sarah Kofler and Kathy Pomer. It's clear that this is something that will absolutely be of importance to any parent who has a child in anything from infant um, child care all the way through the beginning of grade school. Today, we're going to be talking about how do you know what's going on with your child? You put your small baby, could be as little as six weeks or three months or one year, into the care of other people. How are you going to get information back? Even when your child grows to be two and three and four, even a verbal four-year-old is not going to be able to tell you the nuances of what goes on during the day. So how do we establish a very good communication style with the director and with the preschool teacher? It's the only way you're going to get information, but it also can be a bit intimidating and a little bit frightening for a parent. What are they going to tell me about their child? So how do parents start to establish a good communication style with their director or teacher? This is such a great question. And uh, Arthur and Susan, thank you so much for having us back. We love being in conversation with you. We love being in community with you. And, and it makes me think about how, even just to your first point, Sarah and I are no longer calling the work we do early child care. We're not calling it preschool. We're not calling it daycare as much as we're calling it early care and education so that people are realizing that what we are trying to do is build a community of stakeholders that care about care and education, how they are the same thing, how they are part of building relationships, how they are part of establishing who we are as a young parent, as an older parent, as we grow with our children, and as early childhood educators uh, and professionals who really care deeply about the relationships we have with the care community. And then we can get to these moments, which are going to be certainly coming up soon as children are growing, as as classrooms are evolving, as groups are learning about each other, and as we're all growing up together. And so I feel like that's a really important thing, a nod toward our last talk with you all, when people are choosing a place Think hard about a place that feels like a community where you have a voice, a community where your voice matters. And even though I think we talk a lot about parent engagement and family engagement as something that's sort of transactional, how well does a school do with that? I think that that what we really need to do is think about how we can help family members, parents and families feel competent and confident leading that charge as well. And Sarah, I've got to hand it over to you to see what you think about that because you are our resident family engagement expert and also involved with your own young children and, and in these situations a lot. What, what do you have to add to that? 
Thanks, Kathy. And thank you so much, Susan and Arthur. And certainly this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart as an early childhood educator, as a family engagement professional, and as a parent with two young children myself. And I'm actually thinking a lot about this new resource that just came out that I want to share a little bit about. Um, During our last podcast, we spoke a little bit about NAEYC, the National Association for the Education of Young Children, an organization that we are so inspired by and always eager to partner with. And they just recently, just in the past few months, came out with a resource called Hear Our Voice. Voices, engaging in partnerships that honor families. And how exciting that on the national landscape from one of our most esteemed organizations, this idea of working with families and having the support, these relationships between home and school are just of the utmost importance. And there was a, a concept in here that really resonated with me. Nothing brand new, but I loved the way that NAYC spoke about it, about reciprocal relationships and what it means to have a reciprocal relationship. And that in the most high quality early care and education settings, reciprocal relationships between families and educators exist because we're all coming to these relationships knowing that we have the best interests of children in mind. We're coming to these relationships knowing that families are viewing educators as experts in the field and that educators are viewing families as experts on their children. And I think when we're establishing relationships built on trust, built on an openness of communication, built on a true reciprocity. I just think it's the most beautiful thing and the most important work that we can be doing. Everything can be accomplished and worked out when we're in relationship with each other, when we're seeing and valuing each other. So I just love that this topic is something that is um, coming more onto the national landscape, that it's something that's being thought of so significantly in our early care and education settings. And, And Susan and Arthur, that you've invited us here to talk about it today. What you said just makes us so thrilled that we're working together again. And I just want you to emphasize to the audience again the new frame, the new way to refer to the schooling that that we send our kids to at this age. Early care and education is really what the National Association for the Education of Young Children is using now because we really need to understand. And so many of the things that end up playing themselves out in ways that where people are talking about what happened to their child that day or things that we end up talking about in the future when things happen between children and and groups and friends and this and that, because we've stepped over the place of care and jumped right into education. We haven't really thought a lot about all those things that kids need to be working through before they're able. They're certainly learning all the time. Children are learning from the moment they're here. But at the same time, if we're not handling the needs of care and treating that as the very soil that we're trying to grow things in, um, then we are really missing the boat as we jump toward readiness, as we jump toward education, as we jump toward any of those things. It has got to be both together and creating a community of care and education, early care and education, feels like it really gives more than just a nod to those things that are going to make us successful in all these ways, relational and in all these ways, developmental. Kathy and Sarah, as you're speaking of this, I'm just having a a myriad of thoughts are going rushing through my brain. This idea of care is so fundamental. And it's not just when they're in school, but it's actually in the home as well. Even decades ago, when there weren't 10,000 different kinds of quote unquote containers for babies, you know, bouncy seats and little chairs, but a mother would take the baby out of a car carrying their baby like a purse. I was fascinated. And they put the baby down in a carrier and they would be drinking coffee with their friends and holding the bottle at an angle, not even looking at the baby. And I thought, 
there's something missing here. And I want to transfer that over to the care situation. So when we were talking about what to look for in a preschool, in a sense, this is the same conversation. Because if you're seeing babies are being kept in containers in the preschool and teachers are not interacting with them, is that what you're talking about? The care part? Absolutely. When we are talking about the care that goes into early care and education, we want to see children, if you're using the example of an infant room as you brought up, that children are free to explore in ways that are developmentally appropriate, age appropriate, that children have safe, cozy, warm spaces to be exploring. I think of an infant room I went into recently where they had all of this very low furniture. You could really see everywhere in the classroom if you were standing from an adult vantage point. Everything was perfectly sized for the young children in the classroom. The materials were all soft and squishy, and the children in that class were actually exploring block play. And you might think to yourself, infants and block play, that's interesting. But it was. They had these soft foam blocks that one of one of the children who was slightly older, maybe eight or nine months, was really starting to figure out how can I put two of these blocks together? What does that look like? How are they are they exploring? And there were three children all all lying on their tummies near each other playing with these blocks. And it was one of the most gorgeous things I've ever seen. And it, it it's hard to even make a comparison, Susan, as you were saying before, to a child being in a carrier, to a child having this free play, open experience. When we think about care, we mentioned this on our last call. When you're in an infant room, you might want to take a peek at what's happening with, with diaper changing, the way that an educator is interacting with the child during that time that's an important care moment for a child to have their needs met. And the ways that interactions are happening is so important and so critical to know that you are choosing um, an environment and opportunity for your child. I so agree with all of that. I really do. And I have to say that it can even be a very quick way of assessing what that room is going to be like. You can walk in even on a tour, and I've done this before, and seen only carriers, like you're talking about, Susan, only bouncies and enough so that you can already tell they've done the math so that if every child was in one, there would be an, uh, enough. And that is so telling when you see that there's two swings, there's three bouncies, there's something over here. Another uh, classroom I went into ages ago, as you went by the window, there was a window into the hallway and you could see the infants. They had five or six or maybe even seven high chairs lined up facing the window. All I could think of was, am I at the zoo? And I think the intention was, doesn't it make us all happy to see young children? Let's look at them in the zoo. Let's not actually give them the space and the environment and the true container that can help them thrive. I'm telling you that is a segue to my next question and my next concern for parents. Do the educators in your school, preschool, childcare, whatever you want to call it, do they see children as actual people, as an individual child with their own unique personality, with their own needs. And can I really hop on that question too? Because boy, my heart just exploded when you said that. It's the key to everything. As a pediatrician over the years, it's pained me to see the exuberant curiosity of a young child dampen as they enter the uh, assembly line of school, K through 12, more three through 12, I would say is when it really kicks in. And you just put your finger on it, Susan. What? Why is there such exuberant curiosity when a child's an infant or a toddler, two or three-year-old? Because they are with their parents, they, they connect to them as the dearest person in their life. And then if, if that continues, the glow in the child's eye continues. But if it doesn't, the light goes out. 
That's exactly how I feel. When I was running that preschool, I had a lot of professional development on child development, on differences among children, because teachers are sometimes taught like, this is what three-year-olds do. Well, this is what many three-year-olds do, but you once told me something about eating. If this is the average child, that still means that 49% don't do it or aren't ready to do it or do it differently. And isn't that the same thing with behavior? I love this topic. This is so hugely important. And it reminds me, Kathy, of something we often talk about in professional developments or, or sessions that we have with educators about image of the child. Asking an educator the question of, How do you view children? What is most important to you when you think of children? If you believe that children are capable and confident and competent, what does that look like in your practice? What does that look like in your classroom? And I think there are so many ways to be able to see that come out from an educator and in a classroom. I love to look for photos of children on the wall. I know that's a small thing, but it's actually huge to be able to look around the classroom and know that children and their families are represented and are part of this classroom community. That is one small but hugely important way to show that every child is being honored for who they are and for the all the important people who are in their lives. I look for, as children get a little bit older, is there writing, is there artwork around the wall, writing from the educators that represents the children's ideas and thoughts in my son's class right Right now, um, the children have been really interested in ramps. I'm not sure exactly where this topic first came from, but in their block building, they noticed that if they angled a block a certain way, balls could roll down, mini um, figurines could roll down, and it's become a huge topic of conversation. And his teacher has some documentation, some writing around the room of what the children have said. What were the children's ideas when it comes to ramp creation and, and block building? What a beautiful way to know that the ideas of the children, what each of them bring as individuals is being represented in the classroom environment. I think part of what you mentioned earlier, Arthur, as you were talking about as children get older and sort of that uniformity, being able to recognize each child for who they are and what they are bringing to the environment helps each child to know that they are seen, heard, and valued as important members of their classroom community and of all of the communities that they are part of. And that's another reason why that homeschool connection is so important. Those are the two most integral places in a child's life, in a young child's life, their their home and their family family and their school community. I think what I need to say also, because I tend to be the the buzzkill in some of these conversations, but we have to just also say this as well. A million percent what you're saying is is right on, Sarah. And a million percent what you're saying, Arthur, about the way children develop and how that curiosity is there and how it used to be that we didn't have to worry until after K up or third grade up. But in early childhood now, if what we're really saying and what we've just spent the last bit of time talking about relationships and consistent relationships and getting to know the children and waiting and watching and following the children, really knowing how to help a child bring their curiosity to life, then we can't have this conversation about early childhood without talking about the fact that there is such a deficit of staffing in so many classrooms in early childhood, that those relationships are not being built and that the consistency that we need with a child is not happening. So I would say as a parent that needs to find care and finds care and becomes an engaged part of the community, not only should you be diving into advocacy for us doing better by our children and our communities of care, but we also need to ask questions like, what is your staffing like in the day? Is my child having the same teacher all day long or is my child having 
different teachers that that she doesn't know or or is there a different teacher than you even know every day we have call outs and all kinds of things happening that are making the situations in the in the classroom about control because no one knows who the children are and they are just barely forget the purse they're just trying to make sure they're somewhere close to a ratio and most of the time counting heads. I don't mean to interrupt, but this is, tell me what the staffing is like for my child. It's call it teacher A through D or whatever you want to do. But when does teacher A come? When does teacher A leave? Exactly. I will give you, I'll give you an example of parents aren't quite sure. This was in the, not an infant room, but the youngest toddler room. So these children were walking 12 to 15 months when they started. They had early care from 7.30 until 9, I think, with one teacher. Then the main teacher came with an assistant from 9 to 12. At 12, that teacher left and another teacher came in and did nap time till 2.30. At 2.30, another teacher came in until 4. And then the, for those children who had to stay till 6, there was a, what was that, five teachers? Was I up to five teachers? It's crazy. And we're talking not about a seven-year-old who would still be distressed, but who could at least, you know, <laughs> understand it on some level. We're talking about pre-verbal or barely verbal young, young toddlers. The reason I was called in, they were wondering why their children were having such a hard time with transitions. Or did I tell you also that they didn't stay in the same room, that they moved them room to room because they had to for ratios and stuff. So that is something very objective that the parent can say, show me the schedule. And that will tell you if they're saying we overlap, we have one teacher start at 7.30, her um, her co-teacher comes at nine, they give each other breaks for lunch. They maybe introduce a third teacher at the end of the day. So teacher who came at seven or 7.30 leaves at four, but that the same two teachers are there till six. Then you think, here's somebody who's thinking about how children think, how they learn, how they feel cared for and feel safe. I think that that's the kind of thing that parents need to hear. They really have to ask those hard questions, really not a hard question, but important questions. I I think it's so important for parents to ask those questions and to have the understanding. And I want to echo, Kathy, what you were saying earlier about troubles with staffing and wanting to understand, yes, the decisions that schools need to make, but also ensuring that the decisions that are made with the best interests of the children in mind. I think what's most important is to be able to really understand what that structure is and to know that there's communication around it. Of course, it it is not best practice for for a very young child to be switching to five different classrooms throughout the day. Horrible. That, that really is upsetting and hard, and hard to hear. But I think to know, of course, especially if you're choosing a longer day program, need really full-time care, that there likely will be a changeover in caregivers over the course of the day. But how is it being structured? How are families having the opportunities to get to know all of those different educators and caregivers who might be with their child over the course of the day? How are they having those opportunities for communication and interaction and relationship building? A parent might also want to know, in addition to the schedule and the changeover in caregivers, what are the ratios that the schools are using to understand how many children are there for for every educator who's in the room. And of course, those numbers change as children get older and they are state specific and state by state. But how is the school really thinking about ratios and how they are staffing their classrooms, both in terms of schedules, but also in 
terms of how many educators are there to really provide the best and high quality support. And I would add one more piece, which is that do not let the price of tuition make you think that it is an excellent school and doesn't have any of those issues. I think it's a really important thing to say when I pay a certain amount of money, where does it go? What are the teachers earning? What are other teachers in this area in our market earning? We don't want to be transactional. We want to be relational, but neither should we just walk in and assume that it's all going well unless we hear otherwise. And I I really think that the only way to make it better is for families to really feel like they're part of the conversation and not just hand it over and consider it all going well. You know, Kathy and Sarah, when you're talking, it came to mind in evaluating a program, there's always two phases. There's the sale, there's the execution. Once you're in a program, you're not stuck, right? If you find that the relationships aren't there, you can leave. I think parents can know very quickly whether a program relates to their child as a person once they're in it. They can leave. Unfortunately, in some places, the options are very limited. And that is just an issue because let's put it this way. If all of the parents would say, this is really not okay, and they would come as a group to the director or the owners, then there might be some catalyst for change. But unfortunately, one parent leaving, they'll just say, yeah, good luck finding another priest. As long as people are transparent about the fact that here's when our best, our best program is from nine to three or something like that. Like this is when we really have it together where those teachers are being paid, the classrooms are covered. We are able to follow and know and build relationships with those children. And what you need to know is we have a very different kind of staffing model and a different situation before nine for your needs and maybe after three for your needs, but we're not trying to do the impossible over too many hours, then at least we're all in the know and we're not trying to do what we're doing now, which is nothing very well overall, except in pockets of really gorgeous classrooms and gorgeous schools that are really far too few. I think that they are far too few. I'm not disagreeing with what you say. It just makes me quite sad to think that children can't get quality care from the moment they're given into childcare to the moment that they're being picked up. You know, I think you guys have got your own agenda here. I'm just teasing because I think we need to have another session with you. (laughs) (laughs) We can never run out of conversations. We don't, because we really didn't get to what I thought we would be talking about today, which (laughs) what happens when you're getting communication from the school, but it's not communication you want to hear. They're saying that your child is aggressive or your child has an attention span issue or your child is immature. I mean, whatever words director and teachers use. And how do you navigate that? How do you respond to that? When do you take it seriously? How do you even deal with getting information about your child? Because nobody in this world wants to get information that doesn't feel like their child is like the shining star. I'm going to tell you something. When my (laughs) dog had his first grooming, they send report cards out. And and it was like... (laughs) He was mouthy and he was this and he's that. And I said, oh, my God, my dog failed grooming. (laughs) I felt that way about a dog. And, of course, I remember how that felt with my own children. Really, that's an important. Well, it is such an important conversation. And we, we are happy to talk to you all anytime you would like to talk with us. But I will say that what we talked about today is pretty much the baseline of most of those reasons for those report cards, which we've seen in early child care and early care and education, which we don't like seeing in those places. Most of those and most of the trouble spots that come up are a result of the very things we're talking about today. Usually it's too few 
adults in a space, too little time with the adults that really might be educated about these things, too little time to build the relationship with the family members. And so I feel like this was a really important precursor to those kinds of conversations. What those things might require is a deep dive for all of us together to to trust ourselves a little bit more and trust child development a little bit more and try to find the sweet spot between um, how we feel and, and how we feel judged when those kinds of comments come up and how we can always put the needs of a child first uh, and do better and better each time. You know, the mention of the report card uh, really brings home to me, why don't fifth graders have the teacher talk to the parent at the end of every session like they do in early care and education? Well, what occurs to me is when you put your infant or two or three-year-old, four-year-old into early care and education programming, often it's their first step into the world. By the time someone's fifth grade, most parents know who their kid is out in public. They haven't been out in public before. So this is the first gauge they're getting, the first indication of who their child is out in the big world. And the teacher can't deliver that read unless they have a relationship with the child. And how important it is to um, to hear from the parent about who that child is at home. I think that's such an important piece of it. When we're thinking about building these relationships and really connecting with one another, yes, it is the obligation and responsibility of the school to be facilitating a lot of that communication and also so important for the parent and the family member to play an active role in that partnership and in talking about who that child is and what their hopes and dreams are and what together as a full community of of all of the stakeholders involved, how we can help that child thrive and succeed, and therefore how we're all thriving and succeeding. Well, it is time to wrap this up. And I am sorry to wrap it up because clearly we could talk about this for another couple of hours. So <laughs> I hope that when we extend an invitation, the two of you will join us and talk about that next step about what happens when you get the communication. And after that, I have to thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you so much, Sarah. And Arthur, we're going to get ready for our next podcast. Yeah, thank you again, Sarah and Kathy. Our parent tip as we uh, close out this podcast is when you look at your early care and education, which is the new term for these programs before uh, kindergarten. It's a very fast learner. A, a key thing to assess is the ability to provide a relationship to your child as a person. So thank you again. Thanks again for listening to the Parent Talk podcast. You can find back episodes and send us your parenting questions at parenttalkpodcast.com. And don't forget to visit our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, at naturepedic.com.